0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: It's July 6th, 1947, and another remarkable event is
0: about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors! Most people, when asked what was the deadliest weapon of the 20th century, might instinctively think of the atom bomb, which is estimated to have killed up to 200,000 people when the United States dropped two of them in Japan in 1945. Sorry, not the most cheery of intros. (laughs) But another weapon released on this day in 1947 is actually responsible for far more deaths, numbering well into the millions, the Kalashnikov assault rifle, commonly known as the AK-47.
1: And its death toll is only rising, because Larry Kahena's AK-47, The Weapon That Changed the Face of War, estimates that quarter of a million people are still dying every single year from wounds inflicted by an AK-47. And part of that is probably the fact that it's used in pretty much every country or state that often has troubled or turbulent placed in front of it.
2: But it wasn't by any means designed to go global, It was very much the result of a search for a weapon that could be used by the Soviets for the Soviets. In Mm. fact, the AK-47 was the winning design uh, in a nationwide competition. Yes, like the Chicken of Tomorrow competition. (laughs) (laughs) We got the AK-47 because there was this search to find the next generation of weapons which could defend the borders of the Soviet motherland from the Nazis basically. And Mikhail Kalashnikov was the perfect person to design such a gun because as a 22-year-old tank sergeant, he'd been wounded in the Battle of Bryansk and became somewhat on his hospital bed obsessed with the superiority of German weaponry. And why can't the Soviets have something to match that? So when this competition came along... He already had some ideas in mind, and he wasn't a professional weapons designer. Um, He's described by his biographer as equivalent to your granddad potting about in the shed. Yeah,
0: he was still in the military when he did this, and in fact he was still kind of in the process of convalescing from his injuries, and he came up with a few designs that first of all, lost out to competitors in the Soviet equivalent of the Chicken of Tomorrow competition, before eventually he produced the first AK-47. And the reason for its name is that it's the Automat Kalashnikova, and the year was 1947. That was the first year that it was produced. But actually it didn't become fully adopted as the assault rifle of choice for the Soviet army until 1949. And over the years Kalashnikov continued to tweak and refine the weapon. And in fact, it became literally a secret weapon during the sort of emerging Cold War with the states. And the the first time a United States soldier saw one was actually in the mid 50s.
1: And the secrecy over it is surprising in a way because it was largely modelled on a weapon which already existed, which was the German Sturmgewehr 44, the first ever assault rifle. And if you're not a firearms expert, as I'm not, basically this is a genre of weapon that combines the fire rate of a submachine gun with the range and power of a bolt-action rifle. What actually made assault rifles possible was the development of intermediate calibre ammunition. So if you fire regular rifle ammunition at the speed of an automatic, it's not accurate at all. And so what the AK-47 was able to do was improve on the Sturmgewehr 44 and it had a fire rate of 600 rounds per minute obviously that's a theoretical rate because it didn't have magazines that could hold 600 rounds but you could switch it between full or semi-automatic and it remained relatively accurate and reliable but the thing that would ensure its success around the world compared to these rival weapons that had gone before was the fact that it was incredibly easy not only to manufacture but also to maintain
2: yeah so he took those best bits if you like I mean we're using all these positive words like best and improve (laughs) (laughs) but you know The successful bits from um, Killing Machines that the Germans had evolved and American designs as well, but he simplified them and he streamlined them based on his own personal experiences as a soldier, but also research, uh, talking to soldiers and asking them what they wanted and needed, in what conditions it needed to work. I mean, bear in mind, Russia is very much a country of extremes, right? It's got to work in extreme heat and extreme cold. and. One of his slogans in the design process was, soldiers haven't been to university. And Mm -hmm. he was very clear that his gun needed to be something where, yes, the principal functions were there. You know, it was gas-operated, so the gas from each round was recycled into the piston, used to load the next one. There was a selector. But it needed to work everywhere, and it needed to be easily cleaned and assembled by an uneducated freedom fighter, Uh, well, ultimately anywhere in the world, but anywhere in the Soviet world to begin with. And Kalashnikov liked to boast about the rifle's superiority, in particular to the American military's
0: M16 rifle, which in a 2007 interview, he said during the Vietnam War, American soldiers would throw away their M16s and grab an AK-47 and bullets for it from dead Vietnamese soldiers. And I hear American soldiers in Iraq use it quite often as well. And I think that part of that was definitely because of this legendary reliability under harsh conditions that you know could range from water logged jungles like that in Vietnam two Middle Eastern sandstorms, extreme cold and extreme heat. You know, this, this was a weapon that was both durable, but also incredibly cheap to produce. And that's why it spread so quickly to war zones around the world, and particularly into the hands of allies or sympathists to the Soviet Union. I was going to say, days.
2: that is an important <laughs> factor, isn't it, that we shouldn't completely overlook. I mean, you know, what side was Russia on in Vietnam and Cuba? That's why they had AK-47s. But yeah, it happened to be a (laughs) superior weapon as well.
0: (laughs) Well, Kalashnikov always insisted that he didn't feel guilty about the invention of the AK-47 because, as he said, it was for defence not offence. <laughs> and I thought, that's pretty slim, Mr Kalashnikov. But apparently when a reporter asked in 2007 how he could sleep at night, he said, I sleep well. It's the politicians who are to blame for failing to come to an agreement and resorting to violence.
2: Yeah, but but it's not like Werner von Braun, who we were talking about in our DARPA episode, uh, you know, the turncoat who was working for the Nazis, then working for the Americans designing ballistic missiles, who had a completely amoral approach to weaponry and design and was just like... I'm a scientist, I'm going to design this for whoever wants to have it, and if it kills people, so be it. To be fair to Kalashnikov, he saw himself as an anti-imperialist who was fighting the internationalist struggle, and that's why he designed it. So I can appreciate he had to go through all kinds of mental gymnastics when someone presented him with the fact that his weapon had killed thousands of people who you know, you could objectively uh, define as innocent. But nonetheless, at least his intentions were genuine. Like, he he really thought, if I don't design this, my people will die.
0: Yeah, in an era where there was an ideological battle between communism and capitalism, you can easily see how, with the threat looming over everyone of this sort of mutually assured destruction, the idea that you might get one over your enemies on the basis of your military technology must have felt like a logical extension of your feeling of wanting to defend your family.
2: Yeah, and it isn't a missile. You can't launch it from your country. You can only kill someone with it when they come to you in that context. Right.
1: I think that probably explains why Kalashnikov seems to have had a bit of a change of heart towards the end of his life. Because as we were saying, in that Cold War context when the AK-47 was associated with the Soviet Union and its allies, there was a positive ideology around it. But then after the, the end of the Cold War, and you've got the AK-47's proliferation around the world. It's being associated with militias, drug cartels, terrorist groups. And he does seem to have then had a bit of a change of heart about it. In 2008, he said, it is painful for me to see when criminal elements of all kinds fire from my weapon and then six months before his death in 2013 he wrote to the head of russia's orthodox church and he said i keep having the same unsolved question if my rifle claimed people's lives then can it be that i as a christian and an orthodox believer was to blame for the deaths the longer i live the more this question drills itself into my brain and the more i wonder why the lord allowed man to have the devilish desires of envy greed and aggression
0: yeah he said the pain in my soul is unbearable So you can really understand how someone, particularly maybe having seen how far the weapon spread, I mean, if you consider that an estimated 100 million AKs have been produced, half of them, of course, outside of Russia, and many of those kind of under these expired Soviet era licenses or no license at all. But the next most widespread family of rifle is the M16 line that's produced a comparatively paltry 10 million. So really the weapon that he designed is the weapon in the hands of more people worldwide if they're reaching for rifle than any other rifle.
2: And there's an irony as well that leaving aside current tensions between the United States and Russia, which means it's quite hard to get your hands on a Russian made Kalashnikov in the United States. um, Before that, it was easier for a civilian to buy a Kalashnikov, or at least an American made Kalashnikov knockoff, In the United States than it was for a Russian to buy one in Russia, because Russia actually has much tighter gun laws for its citizens outside of wartime than the United States does. So it's kind of like he invented this weapon that actually, uh, on a kind of personal consumer basis, is more popular in America (laughs) than it is on his side of the Cold War.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't buy an authentic AK-47 in the United States because they don't allow fully automatic weapons. But if you already happen to own one before the ban came in, somehow that's OK. You're still allowed to use that and you're still allowed to sell it to other people. Yeah,
0: that's right. If you had an AK-47 that was registered before May 1986, you can continue to sell them. And there's an estimated 175,000 legal automatic weapons of every kind in the United States, but they're now fiercely expensive. So you'd have to pay apparently around $10,000 for your average AK-47, whereas if you just wanted a sort of modified <laughs> one...
2: apparently you have an account on the dark web and apparently yeah. you'd have to move some money around, but I wouldn't know anything I, about yeah. that. Yeah, anyway, don't mess with I me. I just believe in defending <laughs> my own property from the infidels. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. He's just called the king of Italy ten years after the unification of Italy mm. a piece of wood.
0: Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.
2: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.